This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies. And my guest today in the studio is Sam White, who is Assistant Professor of History at The Ohio State University, where he focuses on environmental history. Welcome to the studio. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Your first book, which is called The Climate of Rebellion in the Early Modern Ottoman Empire, explores the far-reaching effects of the severe cold and drought in the Middle East during what's called the so-called Little Iced Age. And your current research looks at how New World settlement was affected during the same period. Uh, So I want to start off asking a really broad question, um, which is, what is the importance of understanding climate and climate change in the broader field of world history? That's an excellent question. Uh, Now, the importance is really twofold. One is the importance of climate for history as history. Uh, Climate was something that past historians simply were not very focused on. Uh, They were looking for political history, looking for social history, looking for economic history, really looking for everything but uh, the environment. And environmental history as a field has really taken off uh, over the past generation. That is to say, looking both at the ways that humans have changed the environment in the past and the way that environmental factors have affected uh, the course of human history. Climate, though, was not a large part of that uh, discussion. There are some exceptions. Uh, I could name some important scholars uh, of the past couple generations who have looked at it. But in the mainstream, even of environmental history, climate was not much considered. Now, though, with rising concern over global warming, uh, climate is really starting to enter the picture. Uh, This is for two reasons. One is that historians, in fact, like all other people, have become aware of climate, become aware of climate simply as a force in human affairs. Uh, And second is that along with the rising concern of global warming, uh, there's been a great deal more research into reconstructing past climates so we can know about climate in much more detail uh, than ever before. Now, with that greater understanding, we can see ways that climate fits into history uh, in much more detail, in a much more convincing way than ever before. Uh, We can see how Large-scale climate changes uh, may have affected large-scale developments, particularly in more extreme climates at the edges of, for instance, settlement or agriculture, either in uh, Arctic lands or on the edge of uh, deserts and so forth, and also in more particular uh, short-term ways as major climatic events and extremes influence the course of human events, as I discussed in my book about the Ottoman Empire. Uh, So with that in mind, we can see climate really as an actor in history for the first time. The other part of this equation, too, though, is what does looking at the climate of the past, what does looking at the past experience of climate change help us say, uh, help us understand about our present predicament, about how the world will face global warming now? Here, I have to say, we're not going to give exact policy prescriptions. uh, We can't uh, raise the bar too high, as it were. But I do think there are wider lessons, wider parables, perhaps, uh, that we can gather from looking at the experience of climate change in the past. And with that in mind, uh, we can look to see if there are bigger patterns to how people handle climate change um, and whether those are also relevant to uh, to the present day. So a lot of your work, or in in fact, your your first book, and and my understanding, your your current research as well, focuses on the period that is called the Little Ice Age. Um, Chronologically, can you sort of tell us when we're talking about now, this is actually a really difficult question. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, and in fact, one that I've uh, tried to address in uh, a recent article and some uh, recent talks that I've given. The 
Little Ice Age, in its broadest sense, represents a period of global cooling uh, that began around 1400 AD and ended around 1850 AD. But within that broad period of cooling, there are in fact a lot of regional variations uh, and chronological variations. So in other words, some parts of the world, uh, particularly the far uh, north, started to cool a little bit earlier, uh, perhaps as early as the late 1200s or early 1300s. Other parts of the world, uh, particularly the southern hemisphere, really didn't start to cool until almost a century after that. And in terms of the end of the Little Ice Age, uh, it's also quite difficult because even within the broader patterns of uh, climatic change over generations or centuries, we also have particular episodes of more extreme change produced by, say, the variation in El Nino's and La Nina events and volcanic eruptions, uh, which can produce uh, more exceptional cooling. So I guess in the end, how we define it um, may also reflect what we're interested in learning, uh, what part of the world we're interested in studying, uh, and um, where we also see the beginnings of global warming, um, which in some respects is, represents the end of the Little Ice Age. All right. So in terms of, of getting more specific, so we could perhaps look at some some of the tangible effects of of this period, uh, your first book focused on the, the Little Ice Age and its its impact on the Ottoman Empire. And I understand that it's going to be impossible for you to try to sum up your research in, in the next you know 10 minutes that we have remaining in the interview. But what things happened in the Ottoman Empire that we can attribute to the Little Ice Age? And, and what were the effects of those? So the research uh, and, and the story in my first book uh, focuses on a period of really acute crisis that began in the 1590s. Uh, within the broader context that the Little Ice Age uh, in the Ottoman uh, lands in the, in the Near East, the late 1400s and early 1500s, when the empire enjoyed some of its most rapid expansion, were relatively stable, relatively mild times for climate. Uh, starting around the 1560s, you start to see a number of episodes of more severe winters uh, and more prolonged or severe droughts, uh, which start to have an impact on the subsistence of the Ottoman peasantry and the wider provisioning systems that the empire used to supply its major cities, especially the capital Istanbul, and its army. In the 1590s, these pressures really turn into crisis. Uh, what happens is that the empire enters into the longest drought in that region in probably the past six centuries. This leads to uh, significant famine in parts of the empire, especially uh, the semi-arid interior parts of Anatolia, northern Syria, northern Iraq, where there's very little agricultural diversification and a lot of vulnerability uh, to this sort of drought. Uh, but what actually tips this natural disaster into a, a bigger human crisis are two more contingent factors. One is that in 1593, in the midst of this drought, the empire ends up getting in, involved in a very long war uh, with the Habsburg Empire, which is actually known sort of uncreatively as the Long War. Uh, and this stretches on for more than a decade and drains a lot of the empire's resources and really keeps it from handling problems in its interior. Uh, and at the same time, forces the empire to drive heavy taxes and requisitions from an already starving peasantry. The other contingent event which was really something even more remarkable um, that I ended up finding, was that the 
extreme cold and drought didn't only have its toll on people, uh, but on the Ottoman livestock. Uh, there was a huge epizootic, that is to say an epidemic disease, among the sheep and cattle in the Ottoman Empire, um, in some cases wiping out 90-95% of flocks and herds all wow. across Anatolia, uh, parts of the Balkans, even into the Crimea. And with that, uh, the it, it, it really aggravates this famine. Um, it also aggravates supply problems for the Ottoman military on the Habsburg frontier. So the successive sultans are forced to make ever more heavy demands on an already overburdened peasantry to try to keep up this supply of animals, which are vital for uh, supplying the army on the Habsburg frontier. And it's these especially heavy demands that actually seem to be a tipping point uh, for a rebellion known as the Jalali Rebellion, uh, which would later leave considerable parts of the Ottoman Empire uh, devastated um, in following decades. And this ecological and human crisis is something that the empire takes an enormously long time to recover from. It really exposes a lot of uh, deep-seated problems that the empire had with its provisioning and requisitioning systems, uh, and is sort of a, a tipping point ecologically as well as the violence and famine drive you know, flight from the countryside into cities uh, as nomadic and semi-nomadic uh, pastoral tribes begin to invade uh, from the eastern edge of empire. And the whole economic and agrarian structure of the empire really begins to change, um, feeding what ends up becoming generations of political crisis. Um, okay, so you mentioned that that, that this um, drought, how long did it last? It started in the 1590s? So it was about uh, five to six years of continuous drought. Uh, and the duration is especially important. Uh, essentially, a year or two of drought is something that peasants uh, in a region like Anatolia would have adapted to after centuries of experience. Uh, but each year that a drought continues, essentially a, a poor peasantry is going to use up all of its alternative resources. Um, they'll you know, first tap into uh, whatever reserve grains they've set aside, perhaps even uh, use up their seed crop for the following year, uh, perhaps find whatever they can to sell devour whatever livestock they might have. Um, but as a drought goes on year after year, um, essentially those resources get used up. And in the end, the only alternatives are uh, flight, uh, starvation, uh, or in some cases turning into violence and banditry. So for an historian like yourself, uh, who works on, on climate change, how do you make the link between successive years of, of drought and, and, and climate change when you're going back through the records? Because I, I imagine it's, it's very difficult to reconstruct these things. Um, from a historical standpoint. So the central insight of the book uh, really came about, by and large, by accident. I had not started off to write a book about climate in the Ottoman Empire. I had started off trying to answer other questions about the environmental history of the Middle East. In particular, I was trying to address sort of an age-old question whether the Middle East entered into a sort of environmental decline, whether it really uh, suffered from long-term aridification or degradation uh, as a result of changing land use, um, as is sometimes imagined for the Middle East. What caught my attention, though, uh, was new data coming out from climate studies. Uh, and this is, by and large, because of interest in global warming. Uh, climatologists were trying to reconstruct past trends uh, to see if there were present implications uh, from a warming climate. And looking through those climate reconstructions, uh, I came across this tremendous fact that this longest drought in the empire's history uh, happened to take place just before this giant rural rebellion broke out. I figured the two were probably not a coincidence, and even if they were, it was certainly worth studying in more depth. And once I started to pursue that line of questioning, it really became the subject for a completely new book. And as I 
performed the research, uh, it was actually a great deal of fun. It really came together like the pieces of a detective story. Mm -hmm. Uh, At first, I had this large coincidence, this large puzzle to solve. Um, In one by one, as I looked through uh, various uh, sources that I uh, turned to for this project, uh, which included certain registers of records from the Ottoman archives, uh, as well as dispatches from uh, Venetian ambassadors and contemporary European and Ottoman chroniclers, um, I learned one piece uh, of the story at a time. Um, I learned about the timing of the outbreak of the rebellion, uh, where it occurred. I learned about the uh, disease of livestock, and then eventually uh, about the particular uh, large-scale order for sheep um, that really tipped off the rebellion. And so just one by one, the various pieces of the puzzle fell into place. Uh, and then I spent much of the rest of my time trying to make sure the whole story did indeed fit together, uh, that there was corroborating evidence. Of course, there was no uh, contradictory evidence from other sources. Your new project is looking pretty much at the exact same period in terms of how it New World settlement was impacted about that. Now, I, I realize this is an, an ongoing project, but um, can you share with us some of the things that you're finding? Okay, of course. Uh, so this is a project that I think will be uh, a lot more familiar to many listeners uh, insofar as certain pieces of this puzzle are already well known. Uh, the central insight that has come from uh, past climate research, again, mostly tree ring-based drought reconstructions, is that the settlers at, in Roanoke uh, and Jamestown happened to arrive during probably the two worst droughts uh, at those particular sites in the past 700 years. And not coincidentally, um, both settlements faced starvation, disease, and uh, in the case of the Roanoke settlement, it disappeared. In the case of the Jamestown settlement, it very nearly did, uh, if not for some extraordinary coincidences and very timely uh, rescue of the colony by supplies from coming back from London. Uh, But what I wanted to do was look into that story in much more detail uh, and put it into wider context. Uh, The Jamestown settlement was not necessarily the first attempt to settle North America. So I wanted to see if both contemporary settlements, um, Santa Fe and Quebec were founded almost exactly the same year, uh, as well as earlier Spanish efforts uh, also uh, came up against uh, challenges from the climate. And what I found is that uh, they did. And they were all, in fact, extraordinarily unlucky. Uh, But there was more than just bad luck involved. On the one hand, there was the larger climatic factor. Uh, This was also an age of uh, particular uh, pronounced global cooling uh, during the Little Ice Age, uh, stretching from the late 16th to the early 17th century. And also, all of these European colonists, whether Spanish, English, or French, came in with certain basic misconceptions of the American climate. They really did not understand the difference between the continental climate of North America versus the maritime climate of Europe, uh, or the uh, difference in seasonal and rainfall patterns between, say, the Mediterranean region and other American lands at the same latitudes. Uh, They really carried uh, forward with a classical idea of of climes, um, as they called them sometimes. Um, This idea that essentially lands along the same latitude uh, should have very similar environments. Uh, But simply put, this is not true. And in fact, the puzzle is particularly uh, interesting. We consider just how different sometimes uh, the, the same climates are at different latitudes. I think many Americans and Europeans often forget how far north uh, Europe is uh, vis-a-vis America. Even Newfoundland um, is entirely to the south of England. There were pamphlets you know, regarding the early efforts to settle in Newfoundland, uh, which go back to the 1580s, uh, worrying whether it would be too hot because it was uh, you know, entirely to the south of England. Um, so if we imagine where Virginia is, that's down about Sicily, um, you know, much less um, 
say, Austin, which would be, uh, I think, around Alexandria, Egypt. Right. Um, so there, there's a very you know, different uh, lineup to where these countries fit geographically, which I think we, we take for granted um, because we're more familiar with uh, present-day climates. But Europe, early European settlers were not, uh, and they came over expecting something very different than what they found. And they ran right into this period of global cooling uh, right around the turn of the 17th century, right around 1600. Yes. Well, uh, this has been very interesting. I'd like to thank you for for sharing some of this with us. It certainly gives us a, a great new insight and a new way into looking at history. Thanks very much for joining us, and we will see you next time. And don't forget, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with supplemental documents, suggestions for further reading, and correlations to this Texas and National Educational Standards for History and Geography on our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-minute history. That's the numerals 1-5-minute history. You can also find a link to suggest topics for upcoming episodes. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-minute history do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.